Neves Solicitors are proud to sponsor The Parent Show. The friendly team at Neves includes specialists who can guide you through all the legal ups and downs of family life. Visit nevesolicitors.co.uk. Neves Solicitors, your complete legal solution. A very, very warm welcome to The Parent Show on Radio Verulam 92.6 FM. Um, we've had a couple of technical glitches, but we're on the air and dying to talk to you about a few very, very important subjects this evening. So um, later on in the show, I think we probably have a few listeners who are tuned in specifically for the topic, which is secondary school allocations. And there are a lot of stressed parents out there, we know. And so we um, discussed them with Councillor uh, Terry Duras from Hearts County Council, Council earlier this day. And we will be um, uh, giving you his answers uh, in the second half of the show about um, the future, how it looks, how, where the problems were, um, if the problems will arise again with secondary school allocations. Because as, as I'm sure you've all heard, 189 children in the St Albans area got no school allocation. So that'll be coming up in the second half of the show. Councillor Terry Durris will be talking to us about secondary school allocations. Thank you, Lydia. And a warm welcome to The Parents Show this evening. And you know what? We do so many topics on The Parents Show, often for older children and about parenting issues to do with parenting teens. We've done so many shows to do with mental health and well-being and, you know, secondary um, education. But you know what? We're going to go right back to the beginning tonight and talk about how do we get these babies, these newborn babies to sleep? Because... Actually, as parents, Lydia, we're still talking about how hard it was back when we had newborn babies. It's like a trauma you'll never recover recover from. from. No, but happily. These days, if you're living in St Albans or anywhere else, there are um, amazing, uh, I would call them fairy godmothers, who can actually arrive into your home yeah. and solve those problems for you. And we've got two of them in the studio tonight. We've got Susie Lane and Liz Wolfit from the Baby Sleep Retreat. How are you, ladies? Hi. Well, hi. <laughs> it's so exciting, isn't it? It's sad for us, Lydia, because we didn't have this help, did we? We didn't. And if I'd had the two of you when my son was born... I probably would just run away and left you with them. <laughs> exactly. And in fact, uh, you know, we were just saying uh, before you came on air that you have actually, both of you, had the experience of parents, you know, leaving the baby at the door with you and just running off like that. Absolutely. <laughs> we have. <laughs> Definitely. So just to go back to, you know, you two actually met 15 years ago, became friends and worked as maternity nurses in multiple birth families. So with families with twins. Is that right? Yep. That's right. Yep. All over the world, actually. Yeah. All over the world. <laughs> and you discovered uh, that you had a very similar sort of approach uh, to, to working with babies and to helping parents who were struggling, particularly with sleep and feeding. And as you know, so many parents Google everything now, and that's not really an appropriate way often to get the right advice for their baby. So tell us why you set up a baby sleep retreat. Liz. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, um, we were just um, seeing a need um, for... Uh, we were seeing a need for help, parents, um, and to... Very, very stressed parents who were... Very stressed parents who were... Um, well, on their couldn't own. Couldn't find the need. Yeah, basically, grandparents used to help and give peer support and mm. nowadays the grandparents uh, are off travelling and doing other things and quite often that leaves parents on their own. They, uh, well, grandparents who live just a long, long way away. That's right and it's very sad for grandparents because they'd love to be able to be there but they let's would, face yeah. it, if you are a, a mum at home with their first baby, it can be very lonely can't it Liz? It certainly can mm. um, and you know, we, we'd had so much experience on the maternity side it was yeah. a natural progression for us and also, we were able to go into people's homes um, and stay overnight with them, not just uh, for them to come to a surgery and be given sort of general advice. We were able to um, give parents very tailored to them, to their babies, to their families, um, give them lots of support, mm. um, which we felt... Um, 
was desperately needed. Oh, and definitely. in fact, uh, coming into the studio tonight, Liz, you were telling me you're just back from New York where you actually helped a, a mum of a newborn. Tell us about That's her right. little journey uh, with oh, you my this goodness. Week. Yeah, she was a very nervous new mum. Her first baby and being overseas, um, she had, well, in fact, her, her parents did fly over to help, but um, it was all a bit new for her. So she really needed some British support <laughs> <laughs> um, and that feeling of being, you know, having somebody she could trust. And um, she had a lot of struggles with breastfeeding initially. She, had a, she did have a tough birth, so she was very grateful to have somebody there when she came back from hospital. Um, but she did suffer um, with the initial breastfeeding. Um, so I was able to help her, I was able to give her different advice on positions and um, also just to sort of give skin to skin and little tips on how she might better position the baby and feed him better. And what could she do by the end of your time together that she couldn't do at the beginning? Well, she was a much more confident and rested mum, I can say, because I was able to help her. Um, we expressed a little bit so that I could um, feed with a bottle as well. So she was breastfeeding, but also I was helping her by giving her alternate feeds with the baby. Um, we also um, took her out uh, got her confidence up so that she was able to breastfeed in public. Wow. And um, so, yes, I, I left a, a better rested mum on recovery who was eating properly and just enjoying her baby a bit more. Yeah, that's the thing. You want to be able to enjoy your baby. And it's so difficult if you're sleep deprived. <laughs> Absolutely. And that is just the hardest bit. Sleep is the most difficult part of having a baby, isn't it? It definitely is. Most definitely. Or lack of it, I should say. <laughs> and you were telling me that the dad was busy changing the nappies as well, wasn't he? Yes, he was <laughs> very, involved. he was very hands on, I have to say. It was a real delight to see that because we do see a cross section. Um, yeah. And if you've got a supportive partner, but sometimes, you know, they, they do feel a little left out, Dad. So we have to bring them in, um, try and give them little jobs to do and, and encouragement um, to, to sort of be a, really a part of this, this new family. For, and obviously your specialty looking at multiple births and I mean, if you can get triplets to sleep, tell us in a nutshell, <laughs> how, how does it differ from supporting parents of a single infant when you go into a home where there are triplets, for example, Susie? It probably sounds a little bit cold to start off with, but I think it's a lot to do with organisation. Um, a lot to do with saying, look, there's so much you can manage. And there is sometimes a baby who does have to wait a little bit. And they're not crying because they're cross with you. They're yeah. crying because they're just not quite sure what's going on. And, and they're learning as much as you are. And you're a learning team. Yeah. You know? mm. um, so settling three babies at the same time. Yes, yeah, somebody sometimes has to wait. But I quite often get a mums to sit there with a, on a chair with hands going across from one baby to the next. You yeah. know, just give wow. them, them down. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's possible. <laughs> and what are the most common issues that both of you have seen in your practice? You've mentioned breastfeeding issues, mum's confidence. What else? Um, uh, babies crying. Um, bottle refusal. Bottle refusal. Sometimes when you get... Sometimes you get mums who uh, have been breastfeeding, 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 like you said, they're, uh, you know, they've got to the point where they're so exhausted that they just want somebody else to do a feed. Oh. And I had a mum recently who rang me and said, oh, I can't do this breastfeeding thing anymore. And she, she did do the breastfeeding, but she said, I don't want to do it anymore. And so I had to work out whether she really did want to do it or, or not. You know, it was just, I can't do it at that moment. There's those moments like that. So I said, well, you know, what, what would you like to do? And I gave her her options. And she said, well, I'd quite like to give a bottle, but he won't take a bottle. So I said, OK, well, look, let's just see if we can get him on the bottle. So we have a little bottle refusal package called the Milk Matters. Okay, let's just dwell on that because yes. I know that is a massive, massive issue. Massive issue. Mm. I can't count how many people I've heard. That's well, right. Oh, I, I'm still breastfeeding my baby's 18 months and because my, my baby won't take a bottle. Yeah. Mm. Well, these are younger babies, not sort of 18 months, but they're sort of anywhere from three months upwards um, to about nine months generally. And sometimes a little bit later, but the longer you leave it, the harder it the is harder to get them on gets. the bottle. Yeah. <laughs> and by one year, they don't necessarily have to be 
on a bottle. So what, so what does your package involve in terms of the getting the bottle refusers onto the bottle? We go uh, into the home and we stay and the mum takes a break and she has uh, she does a little bit of um, she packs expressing. Her she, she goes to a spa. She, oh, she goes, we, we try to pack her off to a spa, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and she looks quite nervous to start off with and then she suddenly the idea kicks in and dad, dad stays behind. Great. Because we want the baby to be with somebody that the baby's familiar with and, you know, obviously doesn't know us. So we're there purely to help get this baby to accept to take a bottle. There's a few things we do as we, we show, the, first of all, we, we help get the baby on a bottle first and then we show the father how to do it. For example, making sure that the milk, the teat isn't completely full of milk because sometimes that's quite overwhelming for a breastfed baby who's used to right, the milk coming right. down and then having to wait. So there's that. And then um, quite often feeding the baby in a room that the baby hasn't been in much before. Very rather than feeding in a not in the same chair that the mum feeds in so making mm. it different in fact and not necessarily turning the baby in towards you facing outways with a little bit of distraction makes a massive difference and not forcing we're very very absolutely, gentle yeah. there's absolutely no forcing whatsoever and staying incredibly calm do you know what i just want to have another baby so i can hire them <laughs> i think i i think i could Please do it this do. time Would round <laughs> i'm flattered do you think i could right and uh, in terms of the other issues the big big issues we talked about the um sleep deprivation and the the emotional side of having a baby uh, do you are, are most of the parents i mean we certainly would have experienced it you know this issue of feeling very i remember being extremely tearful when i had my mm. first child i i was crying all the time because i couldn't get him to sleep and it's that combination mm. isn't it of sleep deprivation and yeah. everything else so yeah. how how much do you think your role is about that emotional support as a pole as opposed to the practical a, a lot a lot a lot from and the first time they call us yes and also mm. um to role to listen as well a lot of listening to start off with to find mm. out you know what the core issue is and sometimes it's not always what the mums are telling us it's hearing what they're saying behind yes and interpreting how they might be feeling yeah. and then yeah. often we're hearing it through quite a lot of sobbing on the phone as well oh it's so, so sad know, isn't it to feel like that yeah. managing their expectations really because they are totally, um, they, they set themselves up, especially that they think they're going to be Wonder Woman. They're going to come back with this lovely little baby and do everything. Um, and then when they're so tired, when they're trying to recover, um, they realize that they can't cope and they need somebody to just give them support, listen to them, give them the occasional hug. And give slow them, them down. Slow them down. Slow That's them down. the biggest thing. One of the things yeah. is just so we, so mm. we have a technique which we call the stop everything. Yep. Rather than when your baby's crying to hurry up and try and fix it, why don't you just stop, sit down, mm. stop, slow down and take a deep breath and your baby will too. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. So lots of lovely tips and, mm. uh, you know, you can go into people's homes and actually give them that tailored advice. Yes, definitely. Absolutely. How long in are you time. often there? How, how long for? Do you, what's the longest you've ever been in someone's home? Gosh, um, I think probably the longest I had was two weeks. But normally we usually it's anywhere between three and seven days. Lovely. Um, and is that primarily at what stage? Is it normally as soon as a woman comes out of hospital or is it a little bit further along? If we're talking line? about newborns. Yes, know. I mean, it can be any stage. Um, we offer help. We actually have a newborn um, consultation where we offer help. Um, when mum comes out, new mum comes out of hospital in the first week or two to sort of give her reassurance, to show her little things, little tips on settling the baby and gentle sleep shaping. And then that same, that we, sorry, um, we that can last up to the 12 weeks yeah. so that we get to know the baby, we get to know the family and we go back in and out and we also offer support remotely as well on the phone or by text. Well, that's very exciting. So mm. for anywhere in the world, you mentioned some of your clients yeah. are quite far afield. So what's the furthest afield you've been helping mums? Gosh, probably Hong Kong. Well, I, I yeah. do a lot with Hong Kong, with um, Asia. And Liz, you do a lot of the States, don't you? Yep, and Europe. So Europe as well. Yeah. We both go to Europe. 
Wow. And I go to Asia and Liz goes to... And a lot of London and the outskirts, yes. obviously. Yeah. <laughs> That's It'd be nice well. to have something a bit more local. Apparently, Hertfordshire has the highest number of multiple births in the country. Oh, wow. So uh, we <laughs> actually did a show many years ago on twin births. Oh. And, uh, well, I think so. So actually, there's a lot of twin clubs and triplet clubs locally. So Hertfordshire is sort of known for that. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. I'm very happy. And do you, how does it, someone, if they call up, how do they know which one of you they'll get, for example? Do you specialise in particular areas? Both of us carry cover things. Liz is absolutely fantastic at getting the very young babies under six months um, to settle to sleep. I mean, independently as well, which is amazing. Um, you so also can. She's, she's also very good at looking after babies from six months plus and mm. doing sleep. But training. I do like the little ones. Uh, so there'd be everyone listening. And be like, Where's that woman, Liz's <laughs> phone number? Liz, while we're on the topic, how do people actually contact you? Because they'll be sitting listening, going, "I need her number." Definitely. Um, go on our website. www. Baby Yep. Yeah. And there you have our contact details, our numbers and our email addresses. And you're on Facebook, so and we're on Facebook. people can just message you presumably. That's right. Definitely. We're on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I just wanted to ask you back about the um, bottle feeding, that issue and other oh. sleep issues. Have you ever come across or is there ever a case when you it just doesn't work? Or is it? Does that happen regularly? Because I think with most parents, they actually believe it's nothing's ever going to work. Nothing's going to work with sleep, and they're they're never going to drink a bottle like every other baby. My kid's an exception. Gosh, We've you've had a few challenges. Had a few challenges, <laughs> but so far we haven't failed. That's fantastic. Yeah. So we're just hoping that never happens. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's with a, a young, healthy baby. Yeah. You know, there's no reason why they shouldn't take the bottle. Have you ever encountered in your role? As do you screen for things like postnatal depression? Yeah, we are you able to spot things that may be wrong with the baby that perhaps have been missed? So is there an extra dimension to your role? Perhaps? Yes, I mean, yeah. for example, when we're doing a sleep consultation um, before we even take a booking we check to see whether it is actually a medically related issue or a behavioral sleep disorder so there's two types of sleep disorder either medical or behavioral we we help with the behavioral side if it was medical even before the person's booked we actually say we're, right i think this is a medical on. issue we need to refer you straight on once you've dealt with that for example things like eczema uh, you know, when you've got a baby who's itching like crazy at night, there's no way the poor little guy is going to be able to sleep. Yeah. Um, so we're not going to then start doing any kind of sleep plan, sleep right. training of any right. sort. Mm. So you can give that initial. You, you know when people yes, need we do to that. Be that's on. automatic. What about reflux, which is seems to be quite a common problem? Yeah. Certainly more now than I remember my mm. peers having it maybe ten years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I think people really struggle with it. Again, so much conflicting advice. A lot of yeah, and immediately advice. people talk about milk and allergies to milk mm. and milk allergies, or is it feeding? Is it? What's your take on that, Liz? Well, we can, we can certainly help um, if they've got if they're suffering from reflux and they're on medication, and it's manageable and it's under control with a doctor or paediatrician, we can certainly help support the mother support to the carry mom. out that, those sort of medical yeah. plans. But these are the sort of things we're looking for before we actually go in and do a consultation. So we go through um, quite a, a detailed um, infant historic before we even start the consultation. And we also do sleep diaries um, and feed diaries. So we have a a varied background um, and quite a good idea of the family situation before we even um, go along to see the family. Which is very reassuring, isn't mm. it? Mm. And is it often the mother who refers the family to you or is, is does, can dad pick up the phone and talk about often, his worries? Yes, often we speak to fathers, do don't we, we? Do we sometimes have fathers mm. who call in and say, I can't do this anymore, my wife and I are arguing yeah. like mad and it's not right and we still love each other but we're just struggling yeah. like mad. So, so not just you're not just putting babies to sleep, you're helping, we're helping relationships. The whole <laughs> we've had a few who've said that we've uh, they they weren't going to um, have another child again and they called us two years later and said we've done it again <laughs> well, there was or some they've said we've saved their marriage so. exactly and there were some very, there were some very sad statistics about paternal depression 
in those early mm, stages that often mm. people don't think about it but it yeah. seems to be quite when it if it's going to happen it happens mm. in, in those early days isn't it absolutely and i i've got a father who i i came up against that when i was doing um a bottle refusal and i didn't know about it until i realized i actually said to him i do think you need to have to you need to see somebody because he was trying to do bottle refusal with me and he just couldn't do anything with the baby because he was terrified the whole time yeah. and his obsession was to hang go on his phone the whole time because he made him reassured um he was really really struggling but lucky to say now he's uh, got a baby who bottle feeds brilliantly who sleeps brilliantly and um they're very happy and he's quite a lot better i think mm. a lot of parents think i mean that they think they'll never crack the sleep the sleep conundrum mm. but I think they don't know also that it's not just for you as a parent, but it's for them. It's critical for a baby's oh. development mm. and well-being and yeah. happiness that, that they're getting sleep. Mm. And I think that sometimes in the sleep deprivation, that mm. gets a bit mixed up. Do you experience that as well? Yes, and also children, um, when there's several children in the family, for example, when you've got a um, like a two-year-old who's not sleeping and then there's the six-year-old, the seven-year-old, and they're actually getting left out mm. because the two-year-old is taking all the attention. And, and that's really sad to see. Um, so getting them to sleep is so important. It's the whole, we take on the whole family in, in a lot of ways, you know. Mm. Um, I, I definitely think the sleeping and if you can get that right, even through those early years, it's critical for mm. everything. Yeah. Critical yeah. for development, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what about the way in which technology has helped? You know, I remember we had a little camera in our baby's room and seeing into the cot. That seemed to be quite ahead of its time, I have to say. <laughs> but now there's so much technology and you can actually have those little things under the map to tell you if your baby's still breathing. What's your general view on the use of technology in this kind of area? Well, it can be helpful, but it can also there's cause so much anxiety much. as well. Yeah. So it's sort of mixed. It just depends on the back, you know, the situation, really. There's an awful lot of equipment that is sold because sleep is such a big issue mm. that uh, people will buy anything. If it's anything. Yes. 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 <laughs> Marketed for vulnerable parents, yeah. vulnerable new parents, I'd say. Uh, yeah. Not always safe as well. Mm. We, we, We've come across a yeah, lot of yeah. things, haven't we? We follow the recommendations by the Lullaby Trust. Mm. Uh, for safe sleeping and um, quite a lot of these things aren't always as safe as they they're made out to be you know with wires coming out of them and that's right sides coming and up bumpers the, yeah. and well we find there was one song that my baby would sleep to it was mozart something and we spent so much money replacing the batteries in this musical machine and he had it for about three years you know and it's just you do anything won't you to get them to sleep i, yeah. I remember when sleep. the projector broke do you remember you had the projector for your eldest kathy's <laughs> laughing her head off now but do you remember when the projector broke and you thought it was the end of the world he'd never yeah. sleep again <laughs> exactly and you become so we kept one of them we went through about 14 of them and then we we had the amazing um yeah the music you know. oh my god and he used to, we used to watch <laughs> we it tend, we tend it's to so bad isn't to put it? it away yeah it's so bad and actually when when my second child was born i put him in his cot and he just went to sleep and i thought this is amazing yeah. and actually there is a lot to do with baby's temperament isn't there there's well, that we work well. with babies' personalities, so mm. every time we go to a consultation, the first thing we do is spend a time of observation just to make sure that we get to know that baby and who they really are um, so that we know what they want and whether they're going to respond to the advice we're going to offer. So it's tailored to each each child, each, each, child yeah. each baby, each child. So for all of our listeners listening, uh, we've mentioned your website, which is the babysleepretreat.com. And they can yep. go on there. It's a lovely website, isn't it? It's mm. got so much detail about your amazing professional well, backgrounds finally. and all of your experience. <laughs> it's finally but getting there. People can ring you up. They yes. can message you on Facebook. Yes. Mm. And there are so many options. You can come to their home or you can Skype moms, dads. It's yep. just brilliant, isn't it? It's so good to know about you. Mm -hmm. um, and I think everyone listening locally be relieved. And especially 
people you're, out there who can help. Both of you, you're you're so calm and so I could imagine you being such a huge help to parents, Aww. you know, in, in a, an incredibly stressful time. It's so great to know the support's out there. Yeah. Absolutely. So we shall be flagging it up to our uh, parents. Thank and uh, is there anything else you want to add, ladies, for the parents listening? Gosh, I mean, even if you want to phone us up for a chat, um, just to sort of hear about if we can help you or if we can give you a few tips and you know just call us or just we've also in got touch we've got tips on our website and we've we? got yes we have yeah, it's we're still working on, website. Website. We're, working yeah. on it <laughs> we're working on it but it's that's an ongoing allowed. project <laughs> well listen thank you so much for joining us on the parent show thank you and for having we us. look forward to sharing more of those lovely tips and we'll flag your website to all of our listeners so thank you so much for joining us thank you very thank much you. for having us thank you the Parent Show is sponsored by Neve Solicitors. Neve Solicitors are proud to sponsor The Parent Show. The friendly team at Neves includes specialists who can guide you through all the legal ups and downs of family life. Visit nevesolicitors.co.uk. Neve Solicitors, your complete legal solution. The radio station for Marshallswick, Batchwood and Jersey Farm. 92.6 FM, Radio Verulam. The radio station for St Albans is 92.6 FM. Radio Verulam. Radio Verulam. Welcome back. And um, as promised, we said in the second half of the show, we'll be talking about school allocations. And we know it's an incredibly tense time for parents. School allocations came out just a couple of weeks ago. And unfortunately, 189 parents in St. Albans didn't get a school allocated to their child. So we wanted to speak to uh, Councillor Terry Durris about this issue. And he is, of course, the person responsible for education at Hertfordshire County Council. And uh, we spoke to him earlier on the day about exactly what the problem is, what the solutions are and um, how parents should... Um, every, every, we're coming at it from every angle so parents can understand what's going to happen on Friday, obviously, when the um, the next round of of um, school allocations is offered. So um, tune in. Right now we're going to talk to Councillor Torres. Very well, thank you. Great. It's great to have you with us. Um, and I know it's an extremely tense time of the year for you and for parents around uh, the Hertfordshire area because, of course, they all found out their choice at secondary school last year in the first round of allocations. Tell us, how, how's, how has the process worked this year? I think what I'd like to say, first of all, is that um, I'm, a, I'm a parent. My, my two daughters have, are grown up now anyway, but they have their own children. And I absolutely understand, because we've all been through it, um, the secondary allocation process and indeed the primary allocation process. And it is a very stressful time because you want things to go the way you want them to go. And it's not always possible, but... Uh, the process has worked extremely well in the vast majority of cases. And bear in mind, we've had 18,000 um, applicants this year, which is um, a little up on last year, 460 more than last year. It's a huge task. Um, and across the county, um, we've had very high satisfaction rates, with 93% obtaining one of their four preferences. But equally, I know that there's been a lot of pressure, which is why we're talking this evening, on places due to an expected increase in the in applications across St Albans. Um, and that's meant that 189 children in the district couldn't be offered a place at the first allocation stage on the 1st of March, which is a national allocation day as well. So so it's an anomaly. It's not normal that 198 parents or children are left without a se secondary school at this point. No, it, it isn't, and I don't think it's happened before. It has happened in the primary sector before now, um, and in the same way that they have a, a continuing interest list, and the secondary sector has an, a continuing interest list, which will start to run on the 18th of March, and, and parents will hear on the 22nd of March the outcome of that. It, it actually, if you like to use an expression, shakes out all the, the, um, the duplicate applications um, and so on, and people perhaps choosing to 
uh, go into the independent sector, etc. Right. So, and, and do you have any idea why suddenly this year, why was it unexpected? Why was it unforeseen? <clears throat> um, I would argue that it wasn't unforeseen in that context. And just to put um, a, a slightly different perspective on it, we could if we had wanted, allocate a, all these 189 children to a school. But the simple fact is that if we had done that, those children would have been allocated to perhaps a school in Watford or a school in Potters Bar or a school in Stevenage. And I think that parents, quite understandably, would have been equally as upset and anxious and stressed in that circumstance. The reason for this is that we were unable to accommodate the Catherine Warrington School, which is a brand new school, which is going to have, incidentally, fantastic facilities um, opening in September. We weren't able to include those in what's known as the coordinated scheme, and that allows all the schools to be in one pot as long as they subscribe to our scheme and the national scheme. Um, we weren't able to do that, and we had to run, if you like, a parallel um, application process for people wanting to send their children or preferred to send their children to Catherine Warrington. So if I understand this correctly, there's a parallel application process. So does that mean that um, that there will suddenly be an increase? What's the, what's the take-up for Catherine Warrington? Will, will uh, the well, Catherine Warrington will accommodate 180 children. Um, can, I, can I also say, and I ought to say, um, that uh, we would have liked if everything had gone according to plan and, and um, it was out of our hands and out of the trust's hands, it would have been ideal if we could have opened the school last September. Um, but that wasn't possible for a range of... Um, it reasons which um, go into perhaps at another time but um, we are where we are now um, and what will happen is that all those pe children who have been put down for Catherine Warrington or put down for Catherine Warrington and want to take up their places um, that will mean that they will give up the um, the hold they've got over another place in another school and that will free it up for all the people who haven't got um, a place at all. So that's very reassuring for parents. So basically 180 places regardless are going to be freed up on the 18th of March. Parents will know on the 22nd of March and by that reckoning we, we can assume at least nine parents will go to independent schools. So of the 189 parents who don't have a place, they will get a place. Historically, um, looking back over the years, we reckon that around about um, 100, 100 children don't take up any of the Hertfordshire um, allocated places, but do actually go either out of county um, or they go into the independent sector. So I think actually, whilst it's always going to be tight, and we accept that, um, there will be, I am very confident that there will be sufficient places in, in a local school for local children. But I'm, I use the word confident. Um, you can never say 100% certain because there may be the odd case. But all of those can c go on to the second run of the continuing interest list and indeed can also appeal um, as it goes forward. But the number of children that that affects is very small. Right. So I, I, I can imagine that that will be incredibly reassuring to some, but some will be saying, that's all fine and well, but right now my child doesn't have a place. And um, obviously they're, they're very upset and nervous and anxious about it. What would you say to those parents? It's a very difficult question to answer because whatever I say is, is potentially going to be taken and people will say, oh, well, he would say that anyway. But I suppose really what I have to say is as much as possible, please stay calm and, and try not to put yourself through any additional stress because, as I said a moment ago, 
I am very confident that we will find there will be places for all the children, these 189 children, um, that haven't been offered a, a place. I, I'm very confident of that. And is it likely to be in their top four? I would hope so. Um, you can't say for sure because at the moment you'll appreciate that the continuing interest list um, starts to run on Monday. It takes quite a long time to run. Um, so I wouldn't like to speculate what the outcome is because I don't know um, what parents have actually said, right, we, we are taking up uh, school A or we're taking up school B or we're going out of county or we're going into the independent sector. So until we actually know those and all of those are collated, I, co I couldn't give you an exact figure. But those figures will come out next Friday the 22nd. Friday the 22nd of March. Yeah. And is there a chance that the 189 won't have their answer on the 22nd? Is there a chance that from the next round, any, any of those children still don't have a school? There is... There is always a chance, but I think the chance is very low. Okay. Okay. Well, that's, that is, that's good news, and I hope some parents out there are reassured by then. Um, the, the thing I wanted to ask you is, how has this been handled? What do you, what do you, in your view, does the system need changing? Is, is there something that's happened this year that will never happen again? And, and the other thing that I suppose is, the process, I, I mean, uh, you're allowed, you're notified on a Friday that your child has this or that place. And the thing is, it's the end of the week. It's the start of the weekend. And if you get terrible news like 189 people do, what do you do? What are you supposed to do? There's nobody to speak to, you know, until Monday, which is a very, very stressful weekend for any parent. Um, the, the, the numbers actually went out. The first thing to say, I mentioned earlier um, that the 1st of March, which this year was a Friday, is National Allocation Day. It's the day when across the whole country all the secondary school um, allocations go out. So it's not a Hertfordshire um, event, it's, it's a national event. And, and the date, I'm fairly certain, is always the 1st of March. Um, so it may be a Friday, it may be another day during the week. What I would say is that um, the customer service centre at Hertfordshire County Council were absolutely ready for people phoning in. We know that on allocation day, whether it be secondary or primary, there will always be an influx of people phoning in. Um, they were ready to take the calls um, at the customer service centre and that was also open, I'm fairly certain, on the Saturday as well. So they were able to give as much as possible some level of reassurance but there were people um, available to take those calls so people weren't left entirely um, um, on their own but I, I but I, I, I equally understand you know the the stress and the the, the, the sadness that when when you see an email arrive um, saying we're, we're sorry we've not at this stage been able to um, allocate your child a place in a school it, it it's a dreadful thing to, to see um, and and as I said a, mo a, a little while back we could have said yes you've got a you've got a place in school X somewhere way away and the parents would have been up in arms quite rightly and said what on earth are you doing you're suggesting we should send our children from St Albans to let's say Stevenage or, or Royston or somewhere like that and is there any way that could have been avoided I mean why did the Catherine Warrington process go along simultaneously why didn't it happen with to, to just avoid this entire uh, you know situation uh, there are a number of steps along the way with Catherine Warrington School um, getting the final um, tick in the box, so to speak. Um, uh, you'll probably be aware that there were some quite long and lengthy uh, legal issues um, that Hertfordshire and uh, Department for Education and the Trust had to respond to um, along the way, and that inevitably delayed some of the the um the processes shall we say um we we could not put Catherine warrington into the coordinated scheme until the department of education um signed off the funding agreement and they only did that on the 25th of february this year 
So there was no time to actually incorporate that into the coordinated scheme. And that's why we had to run a parallel scheme. We have run parallel schemes on more than one occasion. Uh, Cropsey Danes, um, we run a parallel scheme, and uh, I think there's another school, but I can't remember what she did at the moment, where we've run parallel schemes as well, in terms of allocations. But never, I suppose, with the consequences of this one, I, I assume. Uh, not, not in secondary, not in secondary, no. And, um, so and, and, and in that context, to, to an extent, um, this is an exceptional year. Um, and we, we know that we've, we've got the places available. It was just, if you like, um, a timing situation that we, we, we were helpless in, in dealing with. We, there was no way we could have dealt with it because it is a nationally coordinated scheme. And so what's, what's transpired from this is that there are certain areas in St. Albans that look like, in the longer term, that they simply won't be catered for by, by any secondary school. I mean, I think it's the case already in, for primary school level. But what do you say to parents living in those areas? Do, do you think that situation is going to be addressed anytime soon? Well, in terms of um, any school, we have to work with the local uh, planning authority, which in that case would be St Albans City and District Council, um, and when they are um, providing areas for new building, they also have to, we have to say to them, look, we anticipate that we are going to need um, one or two or three forms of entry um, in, a, in a school, whether it be a primary school or a secondary school, and we need you to work with us to find the space and the, 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 the land to be able to accommodate that additional space in the same way that we are working at the present time with St Peter's School, primary school, in St Albans to um, expand their intake um, to allow people in that particular area um, to go to a school which is local to them and I know that they have wanted that um, for some considerable period of time. And is that is that a, a long-term solution so perhaps in the shorter term parents aren't going to feel the benefits of it? Uh, developing a new school I have it in my mind that the Catherine Warrington School has uh, been on the cards now for, I think it's probably about four or five years, no, I think it's more than that, it's probably five or six, seven years. I know that we, we as Hertfordshire, purchased the land for the school um, a number of years ago, um, and, and then you have to go through. It's, it's not a quick process. If you're expanding a school, um, then that's sometimes a little easier. But bear in mind that in St Albans in particular and the city centre, um, land is at a premium. And we, we did open the Albans City Academy Primary School in the heart of St Albans to cater for people who live in the centre of St Albans. I see. And will it get to the stage where planning permission won't be given for houses or apartments um, because there is no way to facilitate those areas with a school. Do you think that'll, because I think that's what pe many parents are saying as well, stop building houses if you can't put a school in the middle of it. Uh, you really need to address that question to the local planning authority. Um, our, our view is that we should try wherever we possibly can and provide local schools for local people so that if there's a, um, a, a housing development, then we would endeavour to put a or want to put a, a school in there. As a matter of interest, um, the, the general rule of thumb in terms of primary and indeed secondary, I suppose, um, is for every 500 homes that, that requires a one-form entry primary school. Um, we don't like building one-form entry primary schools because they don't deliver the best outcomes educationally for, for parents and for the children especially. Um, we try and build two form entry primary schools or sometimes even larger. But that of course translates onwards as, as you go on um, into the secondary sector and it's a little bit of a cyclical thing that um, we, we are just coming out of a, and we know about this, coming out of a bulge in primary school 
places and of course those children are starting to move into the secondary schools yeah but we do plan ahead believe me we we plan ahead um and we have um if you like broad brush plans not detailed plans um certainly in quite detailed in the next couple of years we know where the schools are going to be needed and the places are going to be needed in the next couple of years but then we also have sort of a longer term view running up to sort of 2025 and so on great so i just want to come back to the 189 now and just give them some reassurance is there any priority given for those of the 189 or will they just filter into the system with the catherine warrington places taken out uh, they will filter into the system. Um, we are not allowed by national legislation, it's not our rules, it's the national rules, um, to prioritise in that way. We have to treat everybody in the same way, um, but they will, be, they will be in the system. Um, and when the uh, continuing interest list is run, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm confident that we will find places for them. And if anybody doesn't have a place uh, next Friday, what is the next mm -hmm. date that they need to um, hold on until? Okay, so the continuing interest list second run takes place on the 22nd of April. So it, it is a month ahead. And if they are, if they for any reason are unsuccessful or haven't had, there's a number of people who actually will be given perhaps their their fourth preference school but they want to stay on the continuing interest list for their first preference school and occasionally that can happen they can they can pick up that 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 place so my my recommendation is um the first thing which is very important to say do not if you've been offered a place even though you don't want it stay on the continuing list but do not reject the place that you've been offered because that will work against you you can you can always change your mind later on and and depending on the outcome of the continuing interest list but do rely upon the running of the continuing interest list and indeed um the the opportunity if you feel so inclined to go to appeal and appeal for a place at a particular school can I also just mention that there's a lot of very useful information on the Hertfordshire County Council website, hertfordshire.gov.uk, under schools, and that takes people through in very straightforward language how, how they can take the next steps and what they can expect. Great. And, and last thing, for parents who are dealing, is, is, is the, are the people who are on the customer service and at Hertfordshire County Council, are they, you know, are they being trained to teach, you know, treat parents empathetically and with understanding for this this predicament are they do they you know is that being passed along absolutely absolutely they are and 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 sometimes one has to say that sometimes the answers aren't necessarily what the parent may want to hear but bear in mind that the vast majority of the people who are on the customer service desks um, at Hertfordshire County Council are parents in their own right so they actually understand what people are going through but the 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 short answer to your question is absolutely they are trained to be empathetic and to give good service and 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 straightforward and honourable answers to the questions. So, Councillor Durst, thank you so much. So hopefully by the 22nd of March, the very latest 22nd of April, this debacle for 190 par 89 parents will, will be sorted. Um, I, I, I have to just sort of take you up a little bit on the word debacle. It's, it, it's, it's an unusual situation. Um, we have worked very hard to try and minimise it. We know that there have been a number of people who are distressed by it and we're, we're sorry for the distress that that's caused. But we are very confident that it will become right as we go forward. I, I suppose the reason why I say that is for parents who've been touched by it, it's come out of the blue. They had no idea. I mean, they're kind of thinking, oh, worst case, you know, I'll get my fourth school. But to get no school, I think, has really, um, you know, shaken people. Yes, and, and if you like, one of the um, elements that, again, I know I keep referring to the national um, 
uh, situation, but the National Code of uh, Conduct says that we cannot, or National Admissions Code, says that we cannot, we are not allowed to give advance notice to parents or to warn parents in, that, in the way that you've suggested. And indeed, even I am not, don't get the information. I do get it a, a, a couple of hours beforehand, but that's all I get. So um, we are we are absolutely duty bound, um, and we cannot say anything to anybody about it. So we can't we can't alert people and say, "Watch out, this is going to be a problem." Ah, okay. Well, I'm sure that'll answer a lot of questions for parents in the St Albans area. Councillor Durst, thank you so much for your time this evening. A very warm welcome back to The Parents Show on Radio Verlum 92.6 FM. I'm Lydia L. Curry. And I'm Cathy Weston. And we were going to be joined by uh, Christian Ishak from Level Trust Charity, but unfortunately we couldn't get him on the phone. But I did want to just uh, end the show talking a little bit about the Level Trust Charity. Some of you may have heard of it. They're actually based in Luton. And they're one of my favourite charities because they, they run an amazing uniform exchange, which, um, you know, people... People who um, uh, struggle perhaps to pay for their child's school uniform are able to go into the uniform exchange and really get whatever their child needs. So it's a really wonderful charity. I remember a few years ago they had a campaign to uh, get winter coats for children who were struggling to get them. So any if, if you can help the Level Trust in any way, it's amazing. At the moment, they are appealing for volunteers to help run their uniform exchange. So if you're really you know looking for something to do in a voluntary capacity, the Level Trust is a great one to connect to. Also, um, some of their uh, marketing managers, Maddie, for example, she's doing a 30-kilometre trek along the Jurassic Coast to raise money for the Level Trust. So she'll need some sponsorship. So do read about the Level Trust charity. It's it's www.leveltrust.org. They're on Twitter at Level Trust and they're also on Facebook. They are local. So when you uh, help the Level Trust, you are really um, investing in your local community. That's why I love them so much. So I'm sorry we couldn't get Christian on um, this evening. We will certainly have him back uh, on the parents show at a later date um, thank you as well to all of our guests this evening just to do a little bit of a recap we had Susie Lane and Liz Wolfett from the baby sleep retreat earlier amazing women two maternity nurses who now specialise in going into people's homes as paediatric sleep and feeding consultants they have 35 years plus experience between them and they're absolutely accessible to uh, the parents in St Albans and the surrounding areas. In fact, they'd love to be working with local parents because they're called all over the world. That's right. Yeah. Hong Kong, it's New Hong York, Kong, you name it. New York, Amazing. Yeah, they just want parents in St Albans to give them a ring. So that's great. And the website, Baby Treat. What is it again, Lydia? Baby Sleep Retreat. Dot com. That's right, babysleepretreat.com. And what have we got coming up over the next couple of weeks? So in a couple of weeks' time, we have Professor Deborah Christie coming on to talk about positive strategies for adolescents. Yes, we did use positive and adolescence in the same sentence. And we'll it's also... the total opposite from newborn years. <laughs> that's yeah. it, that's it. But um, yeah, so that'll be on the 28th of March. But um, we're closing up for this uh, this week's show. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to our sponsors, Neve Solicitors as all for their support and to Councillor Durst for answering our questions on primary school allocations. Good evening.